time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It's Monday, August 31st. Whoa, 2020, the weirdest year of the 47 and a half years of this industry. Have we ever seen a year like 2020? I hope we've never seen another one quite like it. It's been the best of times and the worst of times, as it started out with that book of the tale of two cities. But anyway, good times for us in the mortgage industry, challenging times in so many of our cities. Our thoughts and prayers go out to so many, especially when you look at the unrest that's going on. But we're trying to make order of all of it, at least in the mortgage industry. And so that's what this podcast is about. We help mortgage professionals report on the issues as best as we see them. We try not to be opinion-based. We try to bring you information that's timely and that you can listen to in audio format. Again, it's created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. We're certainly not professional broadcasters, but we're thrilled to have you as our listener and sharing information with you. That is so timely. And talk about timely. The hot topic today, we've got one of my favorite people, Linda Bomar. She and her husband, Stanley, are dear friends. I love those two. She's Senior Vice President sales and marketing. She's got uh, Narayan joining us. He's Senior Vice President of Automation. Both are with Indicom. Folks, you have got to pay attention to the Hot Topics segment because what is going on? There's robotic process automation and that and AI. We're going to be discussing the difference between the both of them. And so Narayan heads that all up. So we're so excited. And then I just could listen to Linda talk all the time. Stay tuned to the Hot Topics segment. Uh, the Industry Syndicate, we're part of that as well as Mortgage Media. Be sure to check out both of those websites, industrysyndicate.com or mortgagemedia.com. Glad to be a part of that, as well as we have our sponsors. And of course, we got the MBA, Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Be sure to sign up with the Mortgage Action Alliance. Download the app and have your voice heard in D.C. And then we're so thrilled to have our partnership with Finastra. Now, this is so exciting because tomorrow at 1 o'clock, we'll be launching the uh, webinar. And I'm honored to be a spokesperson for Finastra. That's sponsored by the ABA, but it's open to anybody. You can register by going to Finastra. Website. We'll put a link in there. It is finastra.com forward slash moving mortgage to learn more about how they are doing heavy lifting. You can also go to our show notes and you have a link to get registered for the webinar. It's free, something you should be participating in. I'll be talking about how you can boost mortgage efficiencies to meet growing borrower demand. It's an exciting topic, one that's a presentation I've given before, talking about something that Alice and I did a long time ago with Radius Financial. It's called Business Process Improvement Efficiency Analysis. Because one of my favorite projects we did with a good friend of mine, Keith Pulaski at Radius Financial, Alice and I participated in that together. Listen to tomorrow's webinar, get registered for it, and check it out. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. We're part of both of these very effective mortgage co-ops that create competitive advantages for lenders and vendor members. We're also part of the CMLA, the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, and Indicom, who is our special guest today, and so honored to have have their sponsorship of the podcast as well as Incelerate. This is a company that helps lenders close more loans and engaging better through borrower experience that is not like anything you've ever experienced before. Check that out as well as Ainsworth Advisors. I was just on with several clients this morning. We're talking and I just got a call from David Robdett, one of our other sponsors. 
of Celebrity Home Loans. He says, Dave, I need a good board. And because everyone's starting to wake up, you need a board of advisors. So check out AinsworthAdvisors.com. See that you can handpick a select group of top mortgage professionals. It's one of my companies that I own, and we provide board services for growing companies. And you know what, folks? It's going to be more and more important that you have a board of advisors that is guiding you. And the agencies are going to be looking for that. Your counterparties are going to look for that. So check out AinsworthAdvisors.com. Of course, we have AI Assist. We're so thrilled to have them. And they have artificial intelligence that helps reach borrowers on the front end, the marketing AI. And it's so good. Check out AIAssist.com. And we could go on and on and on. But um, so glad to have Innoviant is one of our newest sponsors. You got to check out what Ted Kramer and his team has created as far as optimizing um, mortgage executions. It's a business intelligence tool that is so amazing, as well as KnowledgeCoop helping you on your training needs, as well as Mobility RE and Modex. Both of these help you connect with the loan officers that are the top producing loan officers in the nation, as well as Velma, Vendorser, Vidyard, and many more. We also have here with us each and every week, Alice, Andy, Allen, and Matt. So what's going on in the market? So we're going to talk with all of these folks. We're thrilled to be here, and thank you for giving us your time today. We all have such precious little time in this crazy market. So we honor you for honoring us by giving us some of your time. Today's hot topic, we've got one of my favorite people, Linda Bomar, Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing, and Narayan, Senior Vice President of Automation, both with Indicom, and very excited to be talking about where is mortgage automation heading, what does it look like, what are companies doing to help us become more efficient, and so in preparation, we had Gabe Mittendon of Guild some months ago, and talked about the difference between RPA, and all the way out to IAI, and all the graduations, uh, the different varieties of what you could do in automation, really a great podcast. And I'm really excited to get into this, but folks, this is moving at a far greater rate. You just heard Alan Pollock in the first segment talk about how some companies are just lagging so far behind. You've got to get on it, and I can't think of two better guests to help us discuss this than Narayan and Linda. So welcome to both of you. So good to have you guys here and appreciate you. We're so excited to be here. And with all the exciting things going on in this podcast, it really mitigates the risk of 2020. I don't know, but we're excited to contribute and to field any questions that you may have. At Indicom, we have a phrase called FOBO, fear of becoming obsolete. And that's where a lot of our customers and prospective customers are sitting right now. They know they've got to get into the automation game and they're afraid if they don't, they might not be around. So we're going to help you understand what's going on. And Narayan certainly being our senior vice president of automation is going to educate us all on where the industry so, sits with us. So help us with the pronunciation. Ryan, how do you pronounce <laughs> your last name? Get, I always stumble with this. No, great to be here, Dave. It's, it's pronounced uh, Bharadwaj, three syllables, Bharadwaj. We're glad. We'll just go with Narayan so I don't embarrass <laughs> myself too much here. But Narayan, so thankful that you took the time. And thank you, first of all, your sponsorship of the podcast is really good. And uh, we've got a vast number of listeners listening in today. So you guys, obviously, when we promoted this out, we're getting a lot of attention on it. So let's talk about this. What is the different types of automation strategies that you're seeing? in the marketplace? And also, what is it that Indicom is doing? And then we'll open this up to get some more discussion from uh, Alice as well as Alan 
and uh, anyone else who wants to send us their comments. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll go. It's, once again, it's great to be on your podcast, Dave. The way we like to look at automation, and in the past few months since COVID hit, it has really accelerated in, in the mortgage community. Right? Several reasons. One, of course, the whole working remote process has exacerbated the challenges with closing, the physical closing. So the digital closing pieces, what we call the back office parts of the manufacturing, they have accelerated. But as we're seeing, volumes are going through the roof and lenders are finding it incredibly difficult to find processes and underwriters and humans really to automate their processes. So Mm -hmm. what they're saying is they can't just ramp up and ramp down and there's a dogfight out there for talent. That's a good way to put it. I love that. There's a dogfight for sure. That's a great way to put it. So what lenders are saying is maybe this is not even a sustainable way to ramp up our operation. Great. We can still find some people. We can pay them $50,000 sign on bonuses, bring on people. What are we going to do when the market tanks? So what they're realizing is maybe there's a better way to do this maybe there's a better way to accelerate some of the automation initiatives that we've been thinking about. And we started to put this framework together, what we call as automation continuum for the mortgage industry. It literally touches all facets of the life cycle of a mortgage production shop. So we define it in three broad categories, right? One is RPA and and what we call robotic process automation. This has been around, you know, 25 years ago when I started uh, at City, we used to automate batch processing. Essentially, instead of a human doing it, you literally emulated human actions for a TN3270 terminal to emulate that. So it's not new, but it's obviously evolved over time with the combination of mm-hmm. uh, machine learning and better UI uh, technologies in play now. So today's RPA essentially serves a few causes, right? One is if, if a lender has any task that is non-judgment oriented, basically a set of simple rules that a human being is sitting and executing. And it has to be high volume in order for you to make a business case out of it. It has to be repeatable. If it's a once in six month exercise, it's not going to give you value. And then there are two forms. It could either be attended or unattended, right? Now, what do we mean by non-judgment oriented? Wherever there's complex calculations, there's complex decision-making involved, multiple points of stare and compare and comparison, that's typically not a candidate for robotic process automation. Right. A simple rules-based work you know, is what we like to call taking the robot out of the human, right? You could have humans do better tasks and mm-hmm. better activities and remove the robots that the humans are performing today and then automate those activities using robotic process automation. So that's on one spectrum of automation, right? You move to the next spectrum of automation, uh, next category. It's what we call intelligent automation. Now, this is what we call the classic decision management challenge. I know we've had AUSs, we've had semi-automated uh, underwriting systems which automate the process of decision management. But right. anything that is judgment-oriented, heavy, it involves complex calculations, multiple validations, subjective outcomes, and truly something uh-huh. that enables straight-through processing instead of a human being even having to touch it. So those are what we call intelligent automation. So these are heavy on decisioning, right? On heavy on calculations and comparisons and validations. And then on the other end, we have what we call a supervised automation. Now, regardless of how much you try to automate, there are always going to be fallouts from any automation effort that humans mm-hmm. need to provide an oversight. They may be a follow-up. They may be high-touch, high-value transactions that you don't want to automate and you should not automate those. And some may require end-to-end customer action and dispositions. And dealing with any non 
non-digital forms of input sources. You can only automate something that you can digitize. Let's say review an appraisal report. You could review a standard appraisal report in a PDF format. But if there are images embedded in it, if there are inferences, we still haven't matured to the point where we can automate all of those. So there's some level of supervised automation that we apply there. And ultimately, all of this is built on a foundation of machine learning. And machine learning or deep learning only works when you have humans feeding data into it, refining the model, and applying back into the production data that comes in back into the algorithms that that decisioning is spitting it. So any machine learning effort that needs constant fine-tuning falls into supervised automation. So that's how we like to define an automation framework specifically for mortgages and, and categorize it that way. Yeah, I love it. I love that. I love the automation continuum that you just described there. Where was it that subjectivity comes into this? Because that one's interesting. And then I want to come to you, Linda, with a question. So could you expand on just what level can we expect of subjectivity? That's where it's delicate. Yeah. So I think, you know, the classic comparison, the classic validation today is what we call two-way. If you look at an AVO system, you're sending data from 10.03 and then it's running it up against a set of rules. It's returning some decisions, but it has no way to validate with what we call as the third leg of information, which is the data that is sitting inside an organization in documents, in third-party reports. There's no way to triangulate that information, right? So the triangulation is what we call intelligent automation, the ability to Okay. 1003 data, the ability to take direct source and data that's sitting inside documentation, and then comparing that with a set of investor guidelines or proprietary overlays, and then returning a complex decision, tabulating all the three. Today, if you have an EU's report, there's still a level of oversight, right? You may have already resolved for right. that condition, but there's no way to automate that disposition. So true intelligent automation resolves all three aspects of the decision-making triangle, if you will. So that's what we call subjectivity. An AUS can return a set of rules and a decision, but it has no way to validate that those have been met or not with information that's sitting in digital forms. So that's where true intelligent automation kicks. Okay, so that kind of helps divide this. Now, Linda, you are a seasoned mortgage banker. How have you been getting your head wrapped around? And then more importantly, you and Stan, both mortgage veterans, have been talking to mortgage lenders. How are they getting their head wrapped around all this. I'd love to get your perspective on how the adoption by mortgage lenders of what you're now selling at Indicom. I think the mortgage lenders that I talk to, for the most part, have done an amazing job at adopting technology. And I think it first started with a big wave of the front end. Everybody wanted to, to automate the front end processes. And I've talked to a lot of lenders that have leveraged bots in the back end. Where we seem to be missing a lot of automation is in that middle office. And that's really where mm-hmm. the most complex processes are. You had a, a guest on a little earlier, and he mentioned that he was trying to sign an account for his daughter. He had an online experience, but then they followed up with a letter. <laughs> so we see that a lot. So you've got this amazing front-end experience that can really suck up that 1003. But then when it gets to the middle office, it's handled the same way it's been handled since uh, I've been in mortgage lending. So it, it's really adopting technology for that middle office, which is keen. And that can be challenging. It has been challenging for us. <laughs> because assessors and the underwriters are really the last adopters for technology. So getting yep. their buy-in is essential. And Narayan has developed some processes that help make that a little easier. I can't wait to get into that. Alice, come on. We brought your name up. Jump in here. You, you guys are doing a lot of cool things there at Union Home. But talk a little bit about, you know, what are you seeing as adoption? I know you guys are leading in many things that you're doing out there. Your thoughts? I have, I have a question, actually, because this is... Um, 
so intriguing. And there are areas that still require a lot of management, right? So you talk about that supervised automation, and that's the part we want to try and minimize as much as possible. And you brought up appraisals, but I think another area that still has a lot of touch and falls on the lender would be income calculations. I know you guys have income genius for self-employed, but there's a whole lot of other spectrum there for income calculations. Is that on the radar? Is that an example of an area we can get some more robotic uh, process automation with? Oh, yes, ma'am. And thanks for lifting that up. I Actually, you know, Ryan really expanded our thinking around that whole income calculation and the underwriting process. So, Narayan, lobbing it off to you there. Yeah, absolutely. One is, of course, the different forms of income, Alice. And, and as you would appreciate, your intelligent automation is only as good as the input, right? So there's obviously a lot of machine learning algorithms that we're building to improve the calculation and the recognition of the various types and forms of income streams that we're building in. And the second thing is we're even questioning, you know, the efficacy of this being a pure play income calculation tool, right? So we're expanding the tool significantly and you'll see some exciting upgrades to the product in the coming weeks or months. So clearly that income genius being a flagship product, we're adding a lot more uh, core functionality and features to the product. Yes, absolutely. It's not just standard 1084 and 91 that will be solving for lots more you know, types of income and complexities of income. Narayan, Alice was instrumental at bringing that live. So she's humble there. And so she's probably not going to talk a lot about it. But Alice, thank you so much for your contributions and things that you've done there. She was, I love getting around possibility thinkers. And Alice is certainly, I wonder, is it possible? But Narayan, I want to get back to talking about making sense of the various technologies in play. RPA, AI, conversational AI is really got my attention, especially on the sales side of what we could do. I guess it's all the way through the whole process. Give us some insights. So we've talked about RPA and, and the classic cases where you would apply RPA is for process automation. Initially, RPA was applied in IT operations, data center job scheduling, right. reports, reviewing the report security incidents, and then eventually moved into the processing side and the operation side of the world. AI, there's a lot of things being said about AI. It's a very loosely used term these days. Everybody and their grandfather claims they have an AI solution. But what <laughs> it really true. is, it's a machine learning algorithm that's really driving the power behind any solution. And if you look at the practical uses of it, clearly the biggest use case for AI, automated decisioning, you could apply machine learning algorithms to turn out automated decisioning models and really to drive out variations of decisions. But in a market where you're selling 95% to a prescribed set of rules and conditions, I don't know that there's a tremendous amount of creative decisioning that you could do. You're going to confirm to a set of rules that your investor is going to throw at you. But if you have custom products, if you have products that allow, let's say, social media profiles to score for and come up with custom decision management algorithms, that's a great place to use it. And then the other place that is actually used a lot is in imaging and text and data extraction in the front end. So a lot of narrative is around uh, RPA being a cognitive process automation. There's nothing cognitive about a process automation. It only means that it's got a machine learning and data extraction tool 
strapped onto an RPA platform. So we've built a proprietary uh, algorithm and we've built a proprietary data extraction engine. And we've obviously strapped it onto our RPA, but we don't call it cognitive process automation because there's nothing cognitive about it. It has the ability to recognize multiple different document types. And then with over time, it rec- the recognition efficacy improves. So that's that's broadly what, you know, what we talk about today as AI. And then conversational AI initially started off with customer-facing functions, chatbots and stuff. And, and people really thought that robots and chatbots would really drive customer experience. But there's a lot of what I call a digital disappointment with that whole experience because mm-hmm. chatbots are typically programmed for a limited set of conditions. And unless you build in sentiment analysis and algorithms that detect customer frustration with where the chat is going and seamlessly transfer it to an agent who can pick it up and transact it through, it's very frustrating. So initially, it started off with uh, customer-facing, but w- what we're seeing is over time, it's also being used quite decently in the knowledge mining areas, uh, repositories that you can build an NLP model onto and really throw results based on free text searches. So that's the broad spectrum of where okay. each of these technologies Good. are applied, RPA AI and conversational AI. Fascinating new world. Alan, you watch this a lot and tracking this. Want to jump in on this discussion, please? Yeah, sure. Actually, you and I talk about this quite often, and uh, I've dabbled and stuff. I spoke at a conference uh, a year and a half ago in front of a thousand people about RPA and and AI and conversational AI. And it was really funny. I didn't do the conversation about RPA. Someone else did. And they actually stumbled because somebody in the audience said, can you give me a real example? And they almost were programmed themselves on what they were going to say when they were speaking. (laughs) So I'm going to turn it over to you. Can you give our listeners an example, right? You've built some fantastic technology. And by the way, everything I was going to ask you, you've already said, so I don't have a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. But I I will say, help our listeners understand, really, let's the, the acronyms are fantastic, but what can they do to consider how to start with RPA and automation? What do they need to do then to work with you? Because maybe they want to get their feet wet before they start going to your document processing and your image recognition and some of the things, your income analysis, which by the way, I think that's a huge uplift. And one of the best things we could do is income calculation. That, that's huge. But anyways, I'll leave it to you. What would you say to our listeners? What can you share? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great point. For the most part, till very recently, RPA has always been looked at as a framework. Uh, you had the last count, I think there were anywhere between 45 to 50 RPA vendors selling their wares. And the approach has always been, hey, we have an RPA platform and you buy the platform, you buy a bunch of licenses, and then you tell us what you want to do with it and we'll build it for you. And then that leaves lenders in what I call, you know, the death trap of a proof of concept. So they get into a proof of concept phase, they're never able to provide the value. So we're taking a slightly different approach to it. So when you talk about use cases to RPA, we don't look at RPA as pure play RPA. We, the way we position it to our clients is you're hiring digital workers. Do you want digital workers to do a set of services? Here are your digital workers. Hire them, they'll get the job done, and you pay them the rate that we agree to. And the way we have categorized this is RPA is typically applied in three broad categories. Now, I'll talk about the manufacturing value chain, right? So we look at setup, we look at review and processing, and we look at customer communication. So any activity that falls within the realm of a setup, right? Ordering out all the services, going into an LOS, validating that certain fields exist, and then filling out the data in the service provider's form or UI, submitting it, pulling a report, saving into the document management system. These are what I call 
activities that a human being has performed that you can take the robot out of the human beings from. So any setup activity that has a certain set of rules, a specific set of rules based on the product or loan type but, or loan program. Sorry to interrupt you. I just, if you don't mind, I want to pause you right there. You bring up something yeah. that I want to share with our listeners. It is so absolutely important that if you are getting into uh, RPA, you work with someone like Indycom where you are in a situation where you are able to truly help people, they can do that test case. I think that's important. Like you said, there's a lot of vendors out there, but our industry is so unique. They don't know mortgage and that's really important. You're absolutely right. And a lot of you know lenders today, they have difficulty finding folks who can maintain and support their LOS and servicing systems. And the RPA market is so hard, they're going to have to you know, build an entire team to bring the system on board. So that's just not business value for them. And then quickly moving on to the next category of uh, functions that can be automated within the manufacturing, we call it the review and communication. You know, let's say review and credit report, appraisals, flood, fraud, right? Anything within a set of conditions and judgments that are not heavily data management oriented, those can be automated, right? Let's say downloading a flood report, determining if it's in a flood zone, and then you know initiating a set of actions uh, for the processor or the underwriter if it's in a flood zone. So things like this, right? So any review processing function that falls within the second bucket. And the third bucket is what we call the communication. For instance, communicating change of circumstances, right? Uh, generating disclosures or locked desk or denial letters, right? So everything has a set of validations that if you would give to a human being, you'd give a standard operating procedure, if this, then that. So that's typically what RPA can do in any of these functions. So last count, we've identified about 40 odd tasks and we've automated a fair number of those that lenders can just literally you lift off the ground and start using. So hopefully that gives you a color of you know how an RPA can be applied pragmatically and not looked at just as a framework that lenders have to figure out, okay, you know, we have this white elephant sitting in the data center now. How do we use this? Yeah. So there's a lot of white elephants sitting in, in some data centers right now. Linda, uh, when you're <laughs> communicating out to lenders, what are some of the obstacles that you're having to overcome in trying to get them to understand this? And if you could speak to that. That's a great question, Dave. Funny, because what where we are right now, everyone needs scalability. And a lot of us are stuck in our own world of where we apply a person to a certain task. So, uh, of course, Indycom provides outsourcing services. So, a lot of times I get into discussions with folks that want to fall back into the outsourcing, which is not really scalable long term. And certainly, yeah. the return on investment is not there. So, Narayan has taught me a lot. He's taught me to speak about RPA, for instance, as digital workers. And sometimes that's been able to bridge the gap in my conversations with the lenders, talking about these bots as digital workers, just like they would talk about an outsourcing uh, resource. So that's been very helpful. And I think lenders are trying to learn, but right now they're also trying to make hay while the sun shines. Oh, yeah. so they just want so to true. get there faster, quicker, and it's hard to really put a lot of thought into it. And I can see that. So we have to be patient with our responses and with the way we approach solutions for them. Yeah, I think it's a challenge because, like you're saying, everyone's trying to make as much money, take advantage of this opportunity, and they're stepping over so many tools like RPA, conversational AI, which mm -hmm. you guys are presenting mm -hmm. and offering, and they're missing these opportunities. And you go, when is a good time to do it? Don't wait till it slows down. Do it now. And especially, I think that's where it's really partnership really is such an important part of this, Linda, because if you get the right partner like Indicom, who has has the experience. Did you recruit in uh, Narayan? Did you bring him in? Or whoever did uh, to be 
celebrated. So I would, I would, of- I take credit for everything, Dave. We should just say I do. But, but of course, our CEO and Narayan have a long relationship. So Roger oh, that's I so good. So- Roger, I love that. I take credit for everything. You are so funny. (laughs) When you look at what's going on, if you could just expand a little bit on the difference between traditional RPA and out-of-the-box bots. Expand on that just slightly, if you could, Narayan. Yeah, absolutely. We touched upon it a little bit. Traditional RPA is where lenders are buying a piece of software and then applying efforts to automate processes using that. So you're literally buying a framework, right? And then you have to hire a professional services consulting firm to come in and first identify the process for you and then give them requirements because the next assignment they could be working for could be Walmart. They don't understand the domain. So you have to teach them first what the process is and you have to give them requirements and then they will write a spec, come back to you, go through the waterfall process software development. And then after that, you have to maintain those bots, assuming you move those into production successfully. You have to maintain because keep in mind, every field, every data point, every UI, every workflow change that you make in your LOS or servicing system needs to be replicated in the bot, which means that you have to have a team of support personnel maintaining those bots. Yes. Right? So this, yes, is, a lot of work. this is just a costly, yes, it's a costly endeavor for lenders. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Dave, that, uh, that we talked about earlier, there's a healthy skepticism among lenders because a few lenders have dabbled with this and they figured out that this doesn't work for you. And this doesn't work precisely because of these reasons. They're ultimately having to blow up their money in professional services engagement. So out of the box are what I call, what we call digital workers. So you want digital workers to automate setups, to automate processing and review functions, to automate communication functions. These are the tasks that we will automate for you and we'll actually show you the robots that automate these functions. So when clients see, oh, is, is somebody using this? Are you navigating this? And we tell them, no, it's the, it's the robot working. So it replicates what a human does and they literally see the robots in action. So a robot, out of the box, robots are pre-built for certain task functions and processes within the mortgage lifecycle that automate these functions through the gate. So you don't have to sit around telling us how to look at a credit provider or how the bots know how to do them because fundamentally at heart, we are a processing and underwriting shop um, at our heart. So we've used our processors and underwriters to identify and build these what we call out-of-the-box bots. So you're literally hiring digital workers and telling them that you want the digital workers to automate these tasks and they will go ahead and do it. That is so good. So as we wrap this up, let's uh, Linda and Ryan, I'd like to talk about the keys to successful adoption of RPA initiatives. Now, you just touched on that, Narayan, just slightly, but I wanted both of you, if you could comment that. No, it's a great question. We always say, first, identify what you want to automate a process for. There could be cost savings that you want to drive for. There could be efficiency gains that you want to drive for, for instance. And then there could be defect reduction that you want to drive for because robots cannot do anything else other than what you tell them to do. So there's no transpose error. There's no mistakes that robots can do in executing those transactions. And then let's say if you're good with all of these, what we have seen a few smart lenders do is, I think I'm good with where I am. My quality is good. My production capacity is good. But tomorrow when the business goes up or down, I don't want to be scaling up or down and trying to find resources to do that. I want automation to pick in the slack volumes and just grow in a non-linear fashion, disconnected with how the industry is you know, going. So right. that's a great strategy to adopt because then that insulates you from the cyclicalities of our business. So first is you know, defining why you want to automate and what you're trying to achieve. Now, once you've established 
that, obviously then tracking to your baseline and measuring the improvement against where you were is, is a great way to do that. So these are really key. And then the other thing that lenders often try to do is they try to commingle a process improvement initiative with an RPA initiative. If you can do that, yeah, but then don't try to give a worse off process to a robot and then say the humans are doing better because you've re-engineered the process for the humans. <laughs> and it happens because there's, there's some Six Sigma team working in some corner of the organization that's improved the process which humans are doing and then the robots are stuck in an SOP which is three versions old. So consistency in SOPs humans are performing and the robots are performing is really important because then you run into what we call gauge RNR issues which is a measurement system defect right, in quality control. So that's what we do and then automation is it a be all and end all using RPA maybe not if you can automate natively using APIs using machine learning go ahead and do it but there are a ton of instances within the production life cycle where RPA can still take a lift. So even though we have a, a you know, our own proprietary platform we tell lenders in full transparency that it's not to be all and end all if you can automate natively please go ahead and do that so don't let anybody tell you that it's going to be the miracle cure for anything. Just identify if your underlying LOS servicing system supports native automation, go for it. Linda, I now know why you're so excited about working at Indicom. The recruiting of Narayan here is just so timely and the wisdom he's bringing into this. So Linda, share with our listening audience as we wrap this up. If someone wants to get into this, walk our listeners through to get a hold of you first and then what's the process after that? First of all, it would be a discovery phrase. I'd like to talk yeah. to the lender and find out exactly what they're trying to accomplish because there's a lot of lenders across the board aren't doing the same things. And frankly, in a lot of shops, maybe a different branch has a different way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So you've really got to get back to basics and find out. The lender knows their business the best. But then if you don't know where to start, then these pre-programmed bots and learning about what's out there from the perspective of a a vendor who's been in mortgage services for 25 years is a great leap to uh, get started. That's good. And everyone should start with a conversation with Linda Bomar, one of your wonderful salespeople. So what's the best place for people to get a hold of you, Linda? Of course, Indicom.net is our website or Indicom.com mm-hmm. as well. I'm Linda Bomar, Linda.Bomar at Indicom.net. And I'd love to hear from y'all. And I can certainly direct you to the proper salesperson or talk to you myself, whatever you prefer. Yeah, you definitely want to talk to Linda. If you get an opportunity to get a hold of her, uh, she, she's very responsive. Linda, thank you so much. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. What an amazing amount of information you've shared. There's so much. Our listeners go back and listen to it. You can download this. You can share it. This must be shared. Get this over to your IT team, to your executive team. If for many of you executives are listening to this podcast, probably one of the most widely listened to podcasts by the C-suite executives in our industry. But get this shared. Get this talking about. Get a conversation going. You are not too busy to start looking at this whole area of RPA, robotic process automation, and uh, how it can impact your business. Thank you both so much for being here with us. I really appreciate it, both of you. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. It's been a thank pleasure, you. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate Indicom sponsorship of our podcast. A big thank you to both of you. Folks, I want to just give a shout out again, Finaster, who has invited me to give a, a talk I'm doing tomorrow, September 1st, a webinar on behalf of Finaster on how to start tackling all these desperate separate processes within your organization. There's things you can do. I walk you through it, so go get registered. And if you're registered, can't make it, at least you'll get a download of it. Thank you so much for being here as our listeners. Special thank you to our sponsors, the CMLA, as 
well as Indicom. Love them and the content of which they provided. By the way, Linda and Ryan, we need to have you guys back. I'm getting a lot of questions coming in. So would you schedule another time with our team to get you back on here sooner? We've got a lot of questions flowing in. It'd be good to have you on that. Yes, sir. Well done. Also, want to say a special thank you to Accelerate, Josh Friend. We talked about him earlier, as well as Ainsworth Advisors, Mobility RE, Modex, and so many more. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great week, and look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.